fiber in place. Welcome to Still in the Race, a podcast about running, except for when it's not. I'm back after an unintentional break. I recorded this episode, sent it off to be edited, and the feedback was, that sounds terrible. What I learned was that the input to my microphone had broke, and I spent the next two weeks trying to figure out what was wrong. I reloaded programs, watched multiple YouTube videos that promised to fix it, tried opening and closing files in different orders in an effort to get my software to recognize a device that I had used several times without any issues. It wasn't until a small piece of metal fell out of the bottom that I realized it didn't matter how hard I worked. The microphone had recorded its last words. Once again, technology had defeated me, but only after it once again mocked me. Am I getting soft? We are coming off back-to-back winter storm warnings for the first time this year, which is a win considering it's mid-January. Although, my wife and I had to admit that we had softened in our eight years since we left the northern part of the state. Two to four inches of snow didn't qualify as a storm in those parts. It was barely worth mention on the nightly news. It was just Wednesday. By lunch on most days, it would have been hard to remember if there were two inches that fell the night before. It's embarrassing how quickly we forgot what real winter was like. I seamlessly learned to complain about two inches with the same intensity that I had once complained about a foot. Regardless, the winter has finally arrived, and the sidewalks and roads are covered with snow and ice. The temperature was in the mid-30s, the wind had died down, so it would be a comfortable run if I could find enough dry pavement. My biggest concern was my hip, which had never completely healed, even though it no longer limited me. It had survived a hard five-mile run two mornings ago, but the swelling and pain had returned after Dave cleaning out our storage room as we started the process of preparing to move, which is another story. Back to the streets. Even before my first step, I was focused on my hip, setting out for a steady four to five miles at an even pace. It just needed to make it through the workout to give me some confidence that it was only a minor setback. The good news is, that I got to break out my new winter Solomon running shoes, specifically designed for cold weather and icy conditions. I only use them a few times a year, and they are like an old friend patiently waiting to be called upon. Throughout the past couple of winters, there was only one race when they let me down, because they worked too well. To be fair, I should have thought through the challenge of that race deep in the woods before I decided to use them. My notes from the WTF trail race. At the three-mile mark, I finally left the single track and was back on the two-track road. The trail was covered with ice, and I quickly gained an appreciation for the spikes that I had purchased a few days earlier from a local running store. Nearing 60, for the first time in my life, the ice was a welcome surface, and I chased down several runners before turning back into the woods. It was a decision point. A unique aspect of this race is that you can choose what path to follow. Straight ahead added a quarter mile to the race but avoided having to wade across an ice-cold creek if you turned to the right. I chose the water. Anything less would have felt like a cop-out. I had signed up because it would be a winter adventure. And it was. Even at my age, as a male, we learn lessons that can best be described as obvious. I watched the runner in front of me slip down the bank and fall face-first into the water, nearly submerging herself. I pulled back slightly. 
I was all for taking on the water, but that didn't mean that I was up for a swim. The water was mid-thigh, and that's where I got my lesson. I had several pair of running shoes, a pair for roads, a pair for trails, and a pair for the winter weather. And that's what I had chosen for the day. The most important feature for me is that they are warm, and I'm a self-acknowledged wimp when it comes to the cold weather. I avoid the cold with feeble excuses, and when I do finally summon up the courage to go outside, I invariably overdress to the point that I finish drenched with sweat, much like my runs in the dead of summer. Angle high, my shoes were waterproof, which helps keep the elements at bay, and leads me back to the creek that I had just plunged into a few seconds earlier. It turns out that the same shoes that keep water from seeping in from the outside hold the water in when submerged, and they quickly filled with the icy river. My feet instantly froze, and it would take a quarter of a mile for the water to find its way out, and my toes remained numb for the remainder of the race. I made a mental note and continued to slosh down the trail. Back to, back to the streets. Two miles in, I was starting to feel like I was going to cruise through the run and started thinking about what path would bring me back to the condo at the five-mile mark. Then, as always, it hit in an instant. It wasn't my hip. It was my knee. As I stated in the first episode, it's typically the second injury, caused by compensating, that causes the real problem. I ran another hundred yards, testing to see if I could run through it. I failed. I slowed to a walk and the pain stopped. Gradually, I began to trot, and it returned. Once again, I went back to walking and the pain subsided. I tried to jog again and immediately shut down the run as the pain shot through my knee. I headed home. The new year was starting a lot like 2020 finished. I was relieved when I woke up the next morning with barely a twinge. The bad news was that when I went downstairs to grab the morning paper, I discovered that I couldn't walk down the steps. We live on the sixth floor, and as often as possible, I avoid the elevator. After only a few stairs, I realized that there was no way I was going to make it down six flights. It wasn't just that the pain felt like a knife under my kneecap. It felt like the entire joint wanted to fold forward. I'm not a doctor, but that seemed like a bad thing. I slipped onto the fifth floor and called the elevator. Running means dealing with aches and pains. This felt different. Every injury, both large and small, takes me to that place where there's an increased awareness that my running days will end. It might be a spectacular injury, but more likely, it will be the weight of all the years. I don't want to be the old man running at a slower pace than walking, but I don't know how to avoid it. Fortunately, the older I get, the less I care what others think. The Inevitable End Although I am well aware that the end of my running days grows closer with every step, there have been three distinct times when I had good reason to believe that my running career was over, or at least it appeared that way during those moments. The problem has always been that running isn't something that I do, it's part of who I am, which makes the ending more life-changing than a change in activities. Simultaneously, I never wanted to end, yet I don't want to be the 90-year-old that everyone cheers for simply because I'm the last man standing. The first moment came as a young man, immediately after my formal competitive running days were over. More than a healthy amount of competitive streak still lingers at this point in my life. However, when I had run my last race, I walked off the track, fully intending to hang up my spikes and leave my running career behind. I was burned out from all the miles, and the enjoyment had disappeared from the sport for me. I was yet to appreciate the subtle distinction between racing and running, and I believed that it was time to move on. Over the next several years, I would occasionally return to the streets, but only because, at least for me, I never really felt like I was in good shape if running wasn't part of my workout regimen. It was a new era, and I was once again running, but I still wasn't a runner. 
It's an indistinguishable difference, but at the same time, a chasm that all runners clearly understand. It was work. It was part of what I did, not part of who I was. It wasn't until I had a young family that I finally began to shift to a running life again. The defining day was when my daughter joined me on her bike, and we made our way seven miles around a nearby lake. I can still picture her seated on the banana seat with colorful streamers coming off of her white handles, her ill-fitting helmet slightly out of alignment. Not having run that far for many years, I was focused on survival, while she was just happy to be out on an adventure and never stop talking for the entire duration of the run. We even took a break when she insisted that we stop for ice cream at the halfway point. For the record, starting, stopping, and eating ice cream is a terrible combination during a long run, and I paid the price. But among the thousands of runs that would follow, that day has carved out a unique place. I had my doubts when we set off, but I survived, and although I didn't realize it at the moment, my days as a runner had returned. Two decades later, I found myself staring at the goal that ultimately taunts all runners, the marathon. My standard runs were five to seven miles, but as midlife approached, I found myself feeling as if time was growing short and the marathon was still patiently waiting to be conquered. Millions of people have run marathons. Many complete several. Regardless, that makes it no less the mountain that all runners eventually have to climb. I kept my thoughts to myself for months as I began researching marathons in the area, aware that there is no considering if you are going to run a marathon. You either commit or you don't. Finally, I circled the date on the calendar, picked the training schedule, and announced my intentions, well aware that once I said the words, I was too insecure to back out. I was officially on notice. One of the things that you learn when training for a marathon is that the actual race is secondary to the training, which is the real journey. I quickly became aware that the pounding one endures throughout the weeks and months can't be healthy. The human body wasn't designed to stay in motion for hours, and I found myself fighting through an endless series of strains and injuries. It takes a toll on everyone around you. When I ate, what I ate, when I slept, my entire daily schedule was built around the mileage that I had to churn out each week. And it's impossible to adhere to such a rigid daily structure without it affecting everyone around you. They were all supportive, but clearly, I was asking a lot of them. With only a month of training remaining, it all fell apart. It was during the final stretch of a run as I crested a small hill that marked the last 200 yards to my driveway. It was one of those good days when everything flowed as if the past 10 years hadn't taken place. And in a moment where I ignored the decades, I decided to kick in the end of the run. The problem was that the last decade had indeed taken place, and it had been many years since I possessed anything even remotely resembling a kick. I had one speed. As I picked up the pace, I felt the back of my right leg pull in a way so unfamiliar that I kept moving for another 50 yards trying to push through the pain. Even though I had been active my entire life, I was one of the fortunate few never to have pulled a hamstring. So when it finally happened, I tried to shrug it off as one of the endless array of aches that comes with running. The problem was that just sort of my driveway, I could no longer move. I stood staring at my house, trying to work through how I was going to make it home now that I had a useless appendage that was throbbing and suddenly little more than dead weight. What I didn't realize at the time was that the older you become, the more likely you are to develop chronic hamstring problems. After a few weeks off, I took my tender leg out for a run and was reduced to calling my wife to pick me up because I couldn't find a way to hobble home. I was once again on the sideline, this time my leg a constant reminder that the years had passed, whether we acknowledge them or not. Throughout the next six months, my hamstrings settled into a constant state of tension that limited everything that I did. 
running was out of the question. And I began pulling it, doing things as simple as climbing the stairs or stepping over the dog gate. With one poor decision, I had gone from never injuring a hamstring to never having a healthy hamstring. At a certain point, I forgot about running and turned my concern to being able to accomplish life's daily events without re-injuring myself. The challenge of the marathon was lost, and for the second time, I believed that my running career was finally over. All of which is why, a little over a year later, I couldn't help but be surprised to find myself at the starting line of the Grand Rapids Marathon. I still had moments of tenderness, but as quickly as injury had happened, I got up one spring morning and somehow knew that I was up to the task of inching back into running. Throughout the summer, it held up through the grueling training process, and years later, I have never missed another run because of a hamstring. I have no idea what changed to make a chronic problem disappear so suddenly, but it didn't matter. My running days were back, and I had the unlikely tale of a 29-mile marathon that's for another day. The third time could only be attributed to age. I couldn't and still can't come up with an explanation. It started during a run with my wife, which for the record, she hates. What she actually hates is if I'm running faster than her or if I'm not trying. It feels like a lose-lose. We have even adopted schedules where we never register for the same race. If it's her day, my job is to cheerlead. We were jogging around Reed's Lake, her favorite spot, when I felt something pulling my calf. All runners are nodding at this moment because it has happened to everyone who calls themselves a runner. A couple of days off, a week at the most, and we push on, at least until this time, when there was no pushing on. It would heal, I would pull it again. Even on the treadmill where I could control the pace, within 10 minutes I would come up lame. It was as if a lifetime of training had finally left a single body part damaged beyond repair. I was in my mid-50s at that point, and the muscle's unrelenting refusal to heal left me trying to convince myself that walking was just as healthy. The issue was that I already knew that. Walking is not only great exercise, it's far better for your joints. It wasn't that I didn't appreciate walking. It was that being healthy is only part of why I run, and that part of me wasn't ready to move on. This went on for six months, and even in the dead of winter, on the treadmill, I was forced to replace running with walking. Then, one day, I ran for five minutes toward the end of my time. The next day, ten minutes. The next, walk five minutes, run five minutes. Finally, a 30-minute trot, where I searched for any sign of discomfort. Over the next several weeks, I gradually ran harder and longer until, on a particularly cold Saturday morning, I dressed in my best cold-weather gear and headed out to the streets. It was only three miles, and a slow three miles at that, but it was a painless three miles. I didn't know how long my calf would hold up, but on that day, I was back. Again. I don't know when the next injury will come, but at some point, it will arrive. Based on my past, I will keep pushing, forever believing that it's just one more strain that a prolonged break will heal. Like all the others, that's my hope. That I keep trying. That I keep moving. That I keep believing, even after that day does come. pandemic running. The knee and the hip braces that I ordered have arrived. My fear is that I am providing evidence to all the doubters that running is painful and ill-advised at this point of life. Ten weeks into this project, the mountain is getting larger. The plan for tonight was to test my knee on the treadmill, but it turned out to be a test of my patience. I had taken four days off and felt a bit better, 
but was weary enough that he didn't want to get caught a mile from home and need to hobble back through the city in the dark. I started with a brisk walk for a couple minutes, then turned up the belt to a trot. A tenth of a mile at a time, I turned up the speed, checked my body parts, and continued. I stopped and stretched at the one-mile mark, then climbed back on and settled into a comfortable pace. My thoughts turned to considering if I should play it safe and stop at three miles or push on to four. I kept testing my knee, raising and lowering the incline, changing speeds and strides. I was growing confident that my injury was less severe than I had originally feared, feeling much better about the next test being out on the roads. As the three-mile mark closed in, it felt good enough to push on, but the universe stepped in. The young couple entered the workout center, masks pulled down around their chins. I pointed to the sign indicating that masks were mandatory, and they begrudgingly pulled them up, sort of. In an empty gym, they proceeded to take the treadmills next to me. I should have politely asked them to move down. That would have been the mature thing to do. Instead, I expressed my opinion, wiped down my unit, and left the gym. Apparently, I was meant to only run three miles. When the time came for my outside test run, it was Michigan January cold. My eyes started watering as soon as I stepped outside, and I could feel the tears running down my cheeks trying to freeze. The cloud cover was so thick that my running app was useless, telling me simultaneously that I was running both six and ten-minute miles as I was locked into a steady pace. I was wearing a knee and a hip brace, but it was the muscle just above my right knee that turned grumpy. That's the best way to describe a muscle that hasn't pulled, but is threatening to do so. The prescription is that you slightly alter your pace and stride until it feels like it will hold up through the run. I survived the day, but it will be morning when I crawl out of bed before I learn if it will follow me throughout the upcoming weeks. Thanks for stopping by this edition of Still in the Race. If you would rather read, join me at stillontherace.com. Production and editing are care of Trey Jones. You can find him at treyjoneswriter.com. Additional editing and artwork, Astrid Burke. You can find them both at babyfeverpodcast.com. I look forward to next time when I hope to have something to say, but don't count on it. <laughs>